This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop their Welcome into the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com. I am Ben McKee, the host of the Diamond Vols podcast, and we're back for another season of the Diamond Vols podcast. And that means that baseball season is here. You're listening to this, and that means Tennessee baseball is playing next Friday. And in order to, to get a good feel for the team, I've got the one and only former Tennessee catcher, current Baltimore Oriole alumni, or not an alumni, but... You're in the organization. I guess technically you're not a Baltimore Oriole just yet, but Connor Pavoloni is going to be there one day. I'm I'm convinced he's going to make it one day. But Pav is in the Baltimore Orioles organization. Obviously, he was a a tremendous piece for Tennessee in helping Tennessee or helping Tony Vitello get the program up off the ground and and get it back to Omaha and and creating the culture and and standard that is now set. So I appreciate Pav hopping on here to to help me preview the upcoming season. But we also want to get get to know Pav a little bit as well. One of uh, the, the kindest humans you will meet. Uh, awesome dude, and uh, I want people to get to know him. So, Pav, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Glad to be here. And uh, and like you said, we've been, been doing this for a while, and, and I've been here for a while. So getting to see the guys and be around them this, this offseason has been awesome too. But it's kind of different as a fan. Um, but going into another year, getting to watch the guys, and, uh, and I'm excited to do it. Yeah, and, and let's let's start there. Like I said, I want, I want to talk about you a little bit first and, and foremost. But before we dive into you, I think it is so cool, so freaking cool, how so many of you and your classmates, guys that came before you, uh, and, and then kind of the younger guys that have now gradu- graduated to the professional ranks, the, the Trey Lipscombs, the Drew Gilberts, and, and whatnot, Along with you and your guys like Jake Rucker and and I think Max was was here uh, at some point this all season. But all these guys come back and, and they train together in Knoxville and, and they want to be here and, and be around the the baseball program that you all helped establish. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely something that we, that we make a point to do is is come back and and be around the guys and uh, just kind of like see how things are going. But also this is like home to a lot of us, uh, so it's it's a lot of like. A lot of sentimental value being back here and, and being around the guys, but it's also something where like we all come together for a football game, um, like the Bama game this fall, and um, and a good bit of us still train here and live together up here, and um, and we're all on the same journey still. So it's it's still good to be around the guys, and uh, we're still one big family. Like still have a group message and still still work out together and, and check in on each other. So you know coming up here is just like a bonus for us to see each other, and um, Coach V is always welcoming uh, to all the guys that come back, and and so is Coach Q. Like we use all the facilities here and. Um, we get to be around the guys as much as possible. So if, if they have any questions ever, you know, they just ask us. And, um, you know, we even catch ourselves asking them questions sometimes too. Speaking of that Alabama game, you had a, a, a post that I really enjoyed on Instagram 
this this past week. I guess it was last week. Now now that the people are listening, and and it was uh one of your your photos, which it was technically a video that that you posted was uh, a camera shot of Trey Lipscomb in the midst of the craziness and just mumbling. Where is Pav? Did did he ever find you uh, in, in the midst of that craziness? Uh, he didn't find me in the craziness. Uh, he did find me after the craziness. Uh, it's funny because Trey and I were on the field for a majority of that game and um, and hanging out with each other and, and around the other people on the sideline. And then um, right around the third quarter, we got separated. He went to go see somebody. And uh, and then when the game had ended, I was looking for Trey as well. And uh, it's funny that the camera caught him saying that and uh, ran into each other right outside the stadium after that and um, went out, had a good time, and, and did our thing after that. But it was just something that uh, that I thought was really funny that he pointed out on the TV, you know, at the bar when we were watching the game, rewatching the game. Uh, and it was just, you know, one of those moments. It was just something that, like, you know, I'm going to keep that video for a while. So it's, uh, it was definitely just a, a really funny moment for the two of us and uh, definitely something that, that we both enjoyed. Yeah, and, and I thought it, I got a kick out of it because obviously I have not been around Trey as much as you have. But in, in me being around him, he seems like a super laid back, chill dude. And I, I could immediately see him like that happening. Like I saw that and it, 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 it did not surprise me whatsoever. No, absolutely, and he, yeah, you're spot on. He he is a really laid back and, and really chill dude, and uh, and him and I are, are really close friends. So uh, definitely, you know, some of that rubs off rubs off on me at times too. But yeah, that that definitely you know summarizes Trey in, in in one video. Just you know, like not really caring where I'm at. He's just wondering where I'm at. You know. Yeah, that that that's really cool, and it, and it also speaks to um, the the bond that this obviously Tennessee is now going into a, a new era. Uh, in, in the sense of there's a lot of new faces, still some some old heads hanging around like the Camden Souls of the world. Seems like he's been there uh, forever, but for, for the most part, it's it's a lot of new faces. But uh, as I spoke to uh, uh, about you all coming back over the off season and, and wanting to work together, I, I think that kind of encapsulates just how close you all are because it's not just you and Trey. It's it's Trey and Cortland. It's it's all these guys that 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 are really close, and I think that's really cool. I want to talk about your first professional season in in baseball. You get drafted by the Baltimore Orioles after uh, making it to Omaha, making it to the College World Series. Just uh, walk me through that first season, and I'm sure there were plenty of ups and, and plenty of downs. Just kind of the the roller coaster of trying to figure out professional baseball. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you said it perfectly. There was plenty of ups and plenty of downs. Uh, really, you know almost like a mirror of my junior year at Tennessee. Uh, ended up breaking my hand halfway through the year, uh, just like I did at UT, um, and then came back and did a lot better than, than I was before that. But I think it was just a lot of, you know, your first full season, people don't realize the kind of, not just like the physical grind, but the mental grind that a, that a pro season takes on somebody. Um, and so like going through that for the first time and playing 140 games, like it's a lot. Uh, and so I had to kind of get used to you know, who I was and, and what I was trying to do in the org too, especially with a guy like Adley Rushman in front of you, um, trying to be that. Uh, I think I, I got caught up trying to be somebody that I wasn't, and so I struggled for a while. And um, honestly, it was something that I needed to do, and it, it reminded me a lot of my freshman year here at UT where I was just trying to, like, settle in and um, and try to be somebody I wasn't. And then uh, when I finally just settled in and realized that I just got to be me, um, I think that's kind of when everything kind of took off. And so that's why I'm really excited to go back and, uh, get this second year started because I think I kind of know who I am now from a from a mental standpoint and um, just trying to do my best and I think at the end of the day like if it doesn't work out and I went out and tried to be me then you know I, I can live with that but I think trying to do too much or be somebody that I'm not and kind of like fake it till I make it it's just not something that I want to do um, so I feel a lot better you know going into this year than I did last year kind of from a mental standpoint but also from a physical standpoint like I gained 
gained almost 10 pounds this offseason. Um, you know, and, you know, that's a testament to the strength department that we have, not only with the Orioles, but being around guys like Q and um, being able to use the facilities here, like their first class facilities all around. Uh, and so, you know, a, a big testament to the work that they did at the baseball stadium and everything that they've done so far. Like, we're taking full advantage of it and being around the guys and pushing each other as well has, has made me a lot better. So I, I definitely feel a lot better going into this season. Um, but I learned a lot that I needed to learn in the first season. I'm glad I did it in my first year rather than, you know, wait until my third year when it really matters uh, to learn stuff like that. Pavel's kind enough to drive over, I guess I should say, to Thompson Bowling and uh, visit with me on this pod and record this with me uh, in between Rick Barnes speaking to the media and before basketball practice. So uh, I'm saying that to apologize in advance for, for any background noises uh, you may hear uh, throughout this recording. But, uh, Pab, what was the biggest adjustment for you uh, in your first professional season? Was it that mental aspect and, and adjusting mentally? Um, because I, I imagine – I always tell people that, that aren't as familiar with SEC baseball that it's essentially uh, another version of the minor leagues. Uh, it, it's a, a lower – level of rookie ball or it may be on par with rookie ball you, you can probably speak to that but uh i i imagine the baseball and, and the the pitches you were seeing are, are mostly the same as to what you're seeing from the top guys in the sec so i wonder if there was a big adjustment from a baseball standpoint or was that biggest adjustment mentally for you trying to adjust to being a professional athlete absolutely the mental adjustment is something that goes i think under the radar for a lot of people and that's what i've kind of told everybody uh, on the Tennessee team that I, that I think is going to end up being professionals after this year is like make sure that you know you know who you are mentally and, and you're ready for what's coming because like playing six games a week people don't realize how hard that is and playing every single day um, and so when you're struggling it's tough not to carry it into the next day but like the best of the best in the big leagues do that like they can just leave it at, leave it at what it is you know and take each day day by day um, and so that was the biggest thing I learned was like each day is a, is a new opportunity like there's a new arm on the mound and I think you're spot on when you say like guys in the SEC will will pitch in professional baseball. Like you see guys like Ben Joyce who will, I think, will pitch in the big leagues this year. Um, like he pitched in the SEC last year. Kumar Rocker, I think, will pitch in the big leagues soon. Jack Leiter, my junior year, pitched in the big, he will pitch in the big leagues soon, if not this year. Um, like you see it all the time. Guys in the SEC can compete at the highest level of this game. And so it's not an unfair comparison to say those guys aren't the same competition I was seeing in high A. Like I, I saw plenty of guys in high A this past year that I saw in the SEC. Um, and so it's really cool to kind of get that fraternity of guys where, you know, like I see them on the other side and we know who, we, who each other is. And, um, you know, we go dap each other up like a long time no see. But it's, it's a lot of guys that compete in the SEC that will go out and pro ball and compete right away. But it's also a big adjustment like using wood bats. Like people don't realize how different those are. Um, and then having to, to really figure out what you want to do in terms of like what kind of gear you want to wear, what everything that you want to do. Because in college, you don't really have a choice. Um, it's not like, and I think at some point NIL is going to get there, but like we have a Nike deal at UT. And so I wore Nike my entire college career. But when I got into Pro Bowl, I had to make a choice of what I wanted to wear. So it was just a lot of like trying new stuff. And, um, and at the end of the day, like making adjustments physically as well. Like you can't just go into every day trying to do something different. Like you have to have a routine and you have to be the same guy and do the same stuff and trust your process more than you realize because the results don't really matter at that point. You get 500 at-bats in a season and one three at-bat game does not matter. Like you have to be able to just say, okay, like, you know, I'm gonna move on to the next one uh, and just do the same thing and really trust your process. And that's where like your training comes in and you're saying, hey, like I trust who I am and what I, what my routine entails. And I think that's gonna give me the highest chance of success. And 
So at the end of the day, like that's that's kind of the biggest thing for me is just being consistent in my prep. Yeah, and I would imagine kind of going back to your core group of guys that you played with at, at Tennessee. Uh, a lot of you all are in similar positions uh, across minor league baseball. Uh, Jake Rucker, Max Ferguson. I know Auric played with with Jake this past season, and, and Auric left the, the year before you did. And, and I. I I'm not going to even sit here and try to list off everybody because I will forget somebody. But how much do you all lean on one another kind of when you're going through the struggles because you're all trying to adapt at the same time? Yeah, absolutely. We have to lean on each other um, because at the end of the day, like you get into pro ball. And I don't, I don't say this from a bad standpoint at all, but it's really just you unless you have somebody else there that you really know. Um, and it takes a while for guys to kind of like get close to each other because in pro ball, like it's a dog eat dog world. There's no there's no sugarcoating it like. I'm competing with other dudes for a job. It's and I'm really close with the other catchers in the org. Like I'm, there's no ego on my side. I'm here to get better. And at the end of the day, like if I'm a big leaguer with the Orioles, that's awesome. If not, then I just want to be a big leaguer. Period. With the Yankees. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, we have to lean on each other. And there are times where like I had called Max like throughout this past year and just like, hey man, like what are you going through? This is what I'm going through. Like maybe you can help or like you know even texting guys like Ricky Martinez, who's a coach here, uh, who I who I did play with my freshman year, texting guys like Coach E. Um, and Coach V and saying, hey, like, this is what I'm going through, and you know me better than anybody in this org does, so what can I do to get out of this? Uh, and so, yeah, we have to lean on each other, and that's where, like, the family aspect of it comes in. And people don't realize how close we were as a team that Omaha year, and even the years before that, like, I have a, I have a roommate right now who doesn't even talk to his college teammates anymore. Like, I couldn't imagine that. I couldn't imagine that. And so now it's just about leaning on each other in a different stage of life as well and just saying hey man this is what I'm going through like maybe you can help or like hey what are you going through you know maybe I can help you and it's not always bad like we call each other like hey man I just homered today or like hey you know we'll send it in the group message like Max has four homers this week like that's sick um, you know stuff like that and it's just like it's not always bad but we definitely keep in touch with each other and lean on each other because you have to. Max also had approximately 276 stolen bases <laughs> this yeah. season. Uh, that, that's, that's really cool to see Max having success. Another uh, really great dude. And, and, I mean, that also speaks to life, right? Like, I, I obviously did not play college baseball, but my roommates that I had in college, they're, they're my best friends. They're, they're the brothers that I never had. And, like, we've been going through the, the next phases of life of getting married and, and having kids, and, and we lean on each other uh, in, in that way. So I'm happy for you all that you all kind of have that that same kind of relationship in, in your life because those, those are so valuable. Those are the ones that help you get through life, uh, in my opinion. I want to ask you about the the day to day grind of the the minor league lifestyle. Uh, I I did the minor league lifestyle in a, a much different way. I, I was a bat boy in high school. Uh, I was with the Huntsville Stars, which is now the Rocket City Trash Pandas, uh, with, with who Ben Joyce was with this past season with Sonny D. Uh, I did that in high school, and then when I was a student at UT, I interned with the Smokies uh, on their media relations team, kind of broadcast team for for back-to-back seasons. So I, I was not doing it like you do, but I I know the grind of a 10 to 15 game homestand and, and having to be there every single day, and and it it takes a toll. And that's from what when does the season start for you? Mid-April to I think April 6th. yeah, early early April to. The first weekend of September, uh, what's that, Memorial Day, Labor Day? I get the two mixed up. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's a long season in, in the day-to-day grind. So did, did it take you 
for surprise in a positive way and in a negative way? How long did it take for you to adjust to that aspect of, of just how rigorous minor league, the minor league baseball lifestyle is? Yeah, the physical side I was ready for. Uh, people don't realize how good Coach Q is and how valuable Coach Q is here at UT. Um, but I was, I was more than prepared physically for it. Uh, I think I take care of my body on a, on a pretty elite level. So like that was one of the things that I knew I could do was handle it physically. Uh, and one of, the, one of the goals I had was control. Like getting hurt happens, like breaking my hand, getting hit by a pitch, that happens. But if I can control things that I can control, like how often I stretch and everything like that. And I actually have people, like I've had a couple people this offseason say like, you know, you guys have it so easy. Like you get four months off at a time. I'm, I'm at the field from 1230 to 1030, six days a week at a field, not like sitting in an air conditioned office. Like it's, it's 90 degrees outside in Maryland in the summer. Like it's not, and I don't say this for, for pity. I'm just like being real with you like this, that's how it is. And I, you have to really love it to do it. And you know, I do. So at the end of the day, like it is every single day from 1230, one o'clock to whenever your game ends, 10, 1030, um, with the new pitch clock rules, the games are a lot quicker. So it's, it's definitely nice to get out of there quick, but it's like, you know, we do this every day, and if you're not ready to do it every day, then then you probably shouldn't do it yet, you know? Um, but it's ment mentally more than anything. It's just like when you have that stretch of bad days or you have a bad week, like that's when it gets really hard is when you're, you start to doubt yourself and then you have to understand like, hey, like one week doesn't define me. There's 20 some, 24 weeks in a minor league season. Um, and so that's kind of the, the hump that I couldn't get over last year was just the mental side of it. Uh, and that's why I'm so excited to go back this year. Yeah, and, and look, I'll add on to what you were saying about the, the long days and do so by bragging about you. I, I know your work ethic and your work ethic is tremendous, and, and Tony's bragged about it publicly, so I don't even really need to do this, but I, I know how much work you put in and, and how dedicated to your craft that you are. And it's not the 1230 to 1 o'clock until the, the game ends at night. And not even just like even if you didn't have a, a tremendous work ethic like you do, I mean, the, the lifestyle of a catcher, right? You're, you're going to have to get there earlier than everybody else, uh, get your own individual work in probably catching bullpens for for pitchers that need work that day uh communicating with pitchers and, and signs and, and all the, the the detailed stuff that goes into playing baseball especially being a catcher and, and being part of a pitching staff you got to show up earlier for that than, than the rest of the team does uh and then after the game you're probably icing down taking taking ice baths and and having meetings and whatnot so uh kudos to you uh, because it, it is not for the week uh, i i i know you're a professional baseball player and we all grow, grow up dreaming about being a professional baseball player but uh, it, it's you're not living the lifestyle that Mike Trout is, is living, or or even uh, if if Ben Joyce gets to the big leagues this year, you're you're not living the life that Ben Joyce is. And, and I know the the road trips are, are crazy, so I, I tip my hat off uh, to you. Speaking of those road trips, how do you get by on the road trips and, and busting around? Now, all I think all kind of minor league um, leagues within the minor leagues are, are different based on how many teams are kind of close to you. Um, in the Southern League, you, you might have to go all the way down to Jackson if, if you're in Mobile or, or something of that. Is, is the league that you were in, are, are they all pretty close to one another? And, and what does Connor Pavoloni do to, to, to pass time on these road trips? Yeah, no, they, they are fairly close. I think the longest trip that we had was uh, like 14 hours. We went to UNC Asheville, but all of the trips that we had going down there, we played them together. So that was one of the things that the minor league, like the MILB did great, was schedule all of our like the 14-hour trip, all of those games that were going to be around there during the year, they all scheduled those on back-to-back -back weeks. Um, and so 14 hours, I think, was the longest bus ride we had. And then uh, I usually just watch Netflix or um, we're a big poker team. We were this past year. Um, and so we, we have a website that we'd all go on, and, and we play poker for 
eight, nine hours at a wow. time. Like it's you uh, good? Uh, it depends on the day, honestly. Like it really does. Did you and have to learn or? No, no, I knew how to play poker uh, before that, but it's it's different when like my manager this past year he didn't play with us but he was a professional poker player before he was a baseball manager so like a lot of times before games like we'll play with him with, without real money because he would take all of ours uh and he would just like walk us through hands and stuff like that and you really learn how to play poker at that point so you're really not gambling like you're actually playing odds and and seeing how like you know watching poker on tv how those guys really think about it and so like being able to play poker with the guys and it's honestly just really fun like we're all on the bus and you know, somebody makes a big bet and everybody like peeks their head up over the, <laughs> over the seats and it's like, oh, like who's going to call it? And and it's like, you know, it's stuff like that. And it's one of those camaraderie things that, that you'll remember for a while from the minor leagues and um, and definitely something that, that passes the time for sure. You, you mentioned the gear earlier. Well, we we got to get in on the trade secrets for, for the, the, the mini catchers out there in, in middle school and high school. If, if they want to be like Connor Pavaloni, what, what, what gear do they need to get to replicate uh, number 17 with the Vols? I don't, I don't know what number you wore this past year, but what, what, what do they need to wear to, to be like Connor Pavaloni? Uh, I wear Under Armour gear now. I wore Evo Shield gear when I was at UT. Uh, love Evo Shield gear. Uh, I think it's the best that I've ever worn. I just think they're like they're a they're not a big company like they are now but they don't really like distribute like a big company so it's kind of hard to get stuff from them uh you know before a year starts or anything like that like they're always on back order and so like it's tough to get evo shield stuff and so i don't i get under armor gear and uh, i love it just as much uh and then i end up wearing i think i'm gonna go nike cleats this year uh and then end up going nike bgs too so uh kind of a mix of everything and now i can wear whatever i want so like and nobody's paying me to wear anything so like it's really just kind of like what I really want to wear until um, until somebody changes that. Under Armour glove? Oh, Rawlings glove, Rawlings glove, definitely Rawlings. Uh, I even, you know, for a little bit when I was here, used a Rawlings glove uh, because one of my Wilsons broke, but I, I love Rawlings. I don't think I'll ever use another brand of glove ever again. I, I don't even know if Under Armour makes catcher's glove. I'm assuming that they do. I think so, I'm, I'm not positive. But I, I Last thing, and we'll kind of talk about Tennessee baseball and preview the, the roster for this upcoming season. What 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 shows are you watching? What what were you into this past season? Was there one particular show that you were into this this past season on the road trips? And uh, what, what have you been into lately? Uh, I got on the Peaky Blinders grind a little while early in the year. Didn't finish it. Should have finished it. <laughs> uh, ended up starting How to Get Away with Murder, which is a banger of a show. Uh, such a good show. And then um, I'm trying to think, like throughout the year, I can't. Yeah, I mean, how to get away. Mostly movies. Uh, I love documentaries. Like, I love the fact that Netflix is starting to come out with some sports docs. Uh, and then recently I just watched uh, Breakpoint on Netflix about those tennis stars, which is unbelievable. And so, like, shows like that is kind of what I'm into. Or, like, you know, I'll just watch a movie or read a book. Uh, and so it just depends. Like, some days I'm, I'm feeling a funny show. Some days I'm not. Some days I want to watch, you know, a show like How to Get Away with Murder or, like, Arrow, um, stuff like that. And so... Uh, and then sometimes I'll watch, you know, big league games because uh, getting to watch those guys and see how they do it. But there are also days where, like, most of the time on our way there, I'll ask, you know, our analytics department to put all the scouting reports on, you know, on my in my database so I can do scouting reports on my way down there so I don't have to worry about it when I get into the hotel. Um, and so, that, you know, I'll spend like an hour, hour and a half, two hours doing that. And that takes up a good portion of my of my bus ride. So it just depends. It's whatever I'm feeling. I don't really, I'm not a big nap guy, so I don't, I don't really sleep. I just kind of, we're playing poker, watching TV. Like I'm doing something all the time. Just wait till you have a kid uh, and, and then you'll envy uh, <laughs> naps. Uh, if you haven't seen Yellowstone, got to, got to put that on. Okay. Okay. You've seen Yellowstone. What about uh, Mayor in Kingstown? That, that's one that I just got done with this week. It's, we'll have to watch that. 
it's it's pretty good. It, it's it's pretty good. It kind of starts off slow, but it it really picks up towards the end of the first season. And I think they're four episodes into to to year two, season two. Uh, that's that's on Paramount. That that one I've been into the last week or so, like I said. And then honestly, uh, Tulsa King. Yeah, I haven't. No, I haven't seen it yet, but I, it's definitely on my list. Uh, I was waiting for for the reviews to come out and the, the consensus to see if it was worth my time uh, to watch it. But I, I'm hearing good things about it. I, I just started uh, The Last of Us too, which I've heard great things about. Um, I'm only like half an episode in, so I like it so far and uh, definitely definitely need some contenders for this year because we got we got a long year ahead. Sylvester Stallone is tremendous. Uh, obviously, he was great doing Rocky. Right, but this his character absolutely uh, fits who he is. That that that's tremendous. So those are the shows I've been on. If you need something to watch, uh, going into this season, uh, like I said, did want to get Pav on here to to talk about himself because he's doing great things and moving on to professional baseball. Hopefully, he doesn't beat up on my New York Yankees too bad one one of these days. But uh, did also want to to bring him on and have him talk about and. Uh, kind of preview the the roster that Tony Vitello is going to have this season because as we talked about at the beginning he's been working at the facility the last several months and has seen the current crop of balls and and kind of what they can bring to the table so uh, we're going to talk about that and preview the upcoming season here in a moment but first we do need to take a break so we'll be back in just a moment Money! eBay Motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome back into the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com. I am Ben McKee, joined by former Tennessee catcher and current member of the Baltimore Orioles organization, Connor Pavoloni. Uh, before we dive into some preview stuff for the baseball team, I uh, do want to request, ask that you would go like, rate, and review the pod wherever you do get these pods. We would greatly appreciate that. Pav, first things first, and, and I'm going typical media member here. Whenever whenever anybody talks about Tennessee baseball, they talk about Chase Dolander. That, that's the first thing anybody outside of Knoxville is discussing. The, honestly, the thing I'm most intrigued about with this pitching staff, and, and we know what Dolander, Burns, and, and Beam are, are going to do. 
Uh, so I, I say that I'm most intrigued because we know what those guys are going to do. But I'm, I'm most intrigued, honestly, what Andrew Lindsay, what Seth Halverson, um, Zach Joyce, what those three are going to look like because those are the guys that nobody really knows about right now, and I think they are absolutely huge X factors because they have all the potential in the world. And if they click, the 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 roster, the the pitching staff is going to be incredibly deep. So we'll talk about them in a minute. That's what I'm most intrigued about because I'm very aware of the team. But people outside of Knoxville, first thing they talk about is Chase Dolander and the the type of prospect he is. He's one of one potential number one overall pick, best pitching prospects since Steven Strasburg in, in 10 years. What's it like being around him and, and watching him go about his business? Because in, in my interactions with him, he doesn't seem like somebody that's necessarily going to let the talk get to him. Very much a, a quiet guy to, to a certain extent uh, and really goes about his business. And I mean, his stuff lives up to the hype that everybody's generating this offseason. Yeah, I mean, you said it one of one. Um, definitely was not fun to face him when he was at Georgia Southern. Um, no disrespect to them, but he didn't belong at Georgia Southern. Like He belongs in the SEC. Uh, he belongs at, at Tennessee, and everything that he's done up to this point has proven that, but he hasn't done anything in 23, and he knows that. Um, and he knows that this year matters for him too, but also he's one of those guys that not only does he does he really not care what other, other people are saying, but he doesn't want to hear it. Um, I think that Coach V and the coaching staff have not had a problem with like keeping things away from him. Um, he knows he knows the talk. He, he hears it. And at the end of the day, like if you were to go talk to him as a fan, like you would have no idea that he that he is as highly rated as he is, and um, one of the most humble guys ever. Uh, his relationship with the Lord is incredible, and something that I envy as well, and, and something that we talk about often um, because I think Chase and I are pretty close. And so. You know, ever since he got here, I've always been in contact with him about like, hey man, like if you ever need anything, you hit me up. Uh, and obviously he hasn't, he's been doing great. And um, like you said, he's the best pitching prospect in, in a long time. And I think if Dylan Cruz was not a part of this draft that he would be the outstanding first overall pick. Um, but Dylan Cruz is a part of this draft. So it's, it's definitely gonna come down to the wire. So uh, I think everybody knows what Chase Dolander can do. And I think Chase knows what he can do. It's just a matter of going out there and doing it. Um, I mean, the stuff is unreal. The, the pitchability is unreal. This character is unbelievable. Um, everything that makes up a top five pick is is there. So he just has to go out there and be himself. And I think he understands that a lot better than most. Is, is he just got to go do his thing? And um, and I'm truly excited to watch it. And and like you said, being intrigued is is an understatement. I, I think he's he's got a lot of people's attention, but all he really cares about is being a good teammate. And just, he just wants to win. Um, and that's why when he came here, I, I hit him up and I said, you just made the best decision in your life because all we do is win. <laughs> that, that is a, a great way uh, to put it. For, for the common baseball fan, what, what makes him so great as a, a pitcher? Why, why is he so difficult to face? Uh, he throws four pitches for strikes and he throws 100 miles an hour. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's no sugar. He's a right-handed Garrett Crochet, in, in my opinion, with a better fastball. Uh, and I think the pairing of what his stuff brings and – uh, having a guy like Frank Anderson call pitches is just like you shouldn't you should never have that combo that that should be allowed to play in, in baseball and and that's kind of what he's done is coach coach A's let him be himself and um, I think that Chase can be the man if he continues to act like it um, and I don't say that from a cocky standpoint like if you see him on the mound and be emotional and that's the kind of the misconception with a lot of people with Drew Gilbert like Drew's one of the nicest dudes ever but nobody ever wants to play against him um, and Chase has to be that guy. Uh, he has to be that guy that goes out there and 
and he just wants to win and um and he has to act like the man if he's going to be the man and he knows that and uh and i think that's one of the best parts about him is, is he thinks he's the man too what, what about those other two um chase burns and, and drew beam because they're, they're kind of the forgotten guys going into the season uh everybody is very aware of them there, there's no doubt about that they're they're on practically every preseason all-american team <laughs> that comes out but when you have the potential number one overall pick in the draft in front of you starting on friday nights or Thursday night, game one of the series, everybody's going to talk about them. Just how good do you think those two guys can be? Because I, I think if, if Burns goes out there and has a, a similar season to Dolander last year, Burn, we're going to be having the same conversation about Burns going into his draft the following year. I agree 100%. I think, I think Burns and, and Dolly have a chance to be fist fighting over that SEC Pitcher of the Year trophy at the end of the year. Um, and I don't really see another arm competing with them, to be real with you. Uh, I think a lot of people don't, and I, I, I love this for Chase that a lot of people are kind of focused on on Dolander because I think Chase Burns is also has a chance to be a top five, if not the first overall pick in next year's draft. And we knew that about him coming into school. Um, and there's no reason, like he, I say, this is the best way possible for the balls, but like he has no business being in school. Um, and I think Coach E said something about it last year about him, you know, being thankful he's not pitching in low A because I mean. That, that kid is as good as it gets as well. And uh, having a Friday, Saturday punch like that, and then just having a guy like Beam on Sunday that will come out and just throw strikes at 94, like it's tough. You don't really ever get a break. And I've talked to people that have faced it. Uh, and it's just like, dude, you go into the weekend and it's like, hey man, like runs are at a premium in the SEC, but they're at even more premium when you're playing against the Vols. And so at the end of the day, like those guys go into a weekend and you have to play small ball. Like you see teams all the time, like big home run teams, trying to bunt and move guys over because runs are at such a premium against the staff. Uh, and so I think the only the only person that can get in their way is them. Yeah, and I, I do want to talk about kind of the difference, I guess, between the two chases and beam because I feel like that can become a, a weird conversation. Uh, it was one last year, kind of why are, are people favoring this guy over beam when – uh, Beam is having such a, a tremendous season, and it, it was actually now that's coming back to me that I'm <laughs> that I'm talking it out. It was when Blade was coming back from injury, and there's only three games in a weekend, and you've got four guys that can start, and and Beam is, is having a, a tremendous freshman season. Uh, the the difference that you see in in terms of how people talk about Chase, the Chases, and even Tidwell from last season, and it's why you saw Blade drafted so highly, and probably would have gone even higher had he not gotten hurt. Uh, as often as he did, but those guys just have unreal pitchability, I guess is the word to use, like unreal stuff. That, that's a fun word we like to, to use in baseball. They have stuff, like they have really high-quality high pitches that strike guys out or, or swing and miss stuff. That, that's the phrase that I'm looking for. They have great swing and miss stuff, whereas Drew Beam is a, a different type of pitcher. He, he's he's going to pitch the contact and he's going to pound the zone, he's going to throw strikes, and that is how he is going to operate. And there's nothing wrong with operating in that sense. It's just a, a different style of, of pitching, and whether it's right or wrong, professional organizations, they want the swing and miss stuff more than the guy is that is going to just completely pound the zone. So do you feel like that's an, an accurate summarizing of, of why maybe the chases are, are talked about a little bit different than Drew Beam. Yeah, I think it's the definition of power and finesse. Um, I think that the two guys on Friday and Saturday are just straight power guys, and they're, they're just going to blow you up, period. Um, and then Drew Beam has to pitch a little bit. Like, he doesn't throw 100. Um, and he knows that. 
And so I think that's where you see guys like Frank Anderson shine. When you have a guy who can really pitch and you know that whatever you call, he's going to throw it wherever you want to throw it. And my comp for Beam would be like a guy like Garrett Stallings. Um, you see a guy who can go CG against Georgia if he wants to, but for the most part, like he's going to pitch to contact. And I think at the end of the day, like the cost of doing business, you saw it a lot with Chad. Uh, my junior year where like guys would hit homers off of him. I think he gave up a homer in almost all of his starts, which is not a bad thing. We talk about it all the time. Uh, but at the end of the day, like pitching to contact, is just cost of doing business. Uh, and you'll see guys like get hits. And I know the defense probably has a better time when Beam is throwing because they're more in it. Um, but also like you got to have guys like that that can go six, seven innings by pitching to contact. And he keeps his pitch count low. He's never really throwing that. You know, he's not throwing 100 pitches in six innings. Like he's going to go out there and he's going to make you earn it. And at the end of the day, like he's He's going to give up hits. He's going to give up homers. It happens. Everybody does it. Uh, but I think that kind of summarizes Beam as a whole. It's just like like he's just a finesse guy uh, at the end of the day versus the first two guys that you see on Friday and Saturday. And I think a lot of times in the SEC, you, you get a break on Sunday where you go into the game and you take a deep breath. Like, you know, we might be facing a guy 92-93 today, but you got to face Drew Beam, dude. He's throwing four pitches for strikes, and, um, and he's going to throw it wherever he wants to throw it. And he's going to absolutely dice people. Yeah, I really like the Garrett Stallings uh, comparison. I, I think that's spot on. I, I was thinking Sean Hundley in, in my head, just a, a workhorse, uh, just an absolute workhorse that is going to come in and, and compete and, and pound the zone. And, and I, I really think that Beam is, I, I don't know how from a statistical standpoint, he, he does better uh, than, than last year. But I think he's going to, to be even stronger this year because he, he did tail off towards the end of last season. And it was because he hit a freshman wall because of circumstances that were out of his control. Uh, had had Tommy John in, in high school, if I remember correctly, then had his senior season taken away because of COVID and just hadn't thrown a ton. And he, he hit that freshman wall because he had not built up the, the stamina, the, the repetitions, and, and it caught up to him uh, at some point. His body just wasn't used to that type of grind. And, and now that his body is used to it, and, and even more importantly, he's going to know how to manage his body throughout the, the length of the season. I mean, I, I think he's just going to be absolutely tremendous. And uh, look, I, I don't say this to, to discount the, the offense, but the, the pitching staff is going to carry the, this team, in my opinion, just again, not because the offense is going to be bad or average or something, but it's just that good. Like there's that, that much skill set and, and that much just and incredible arsenal uh, toolbox that Coach Anderson and, and Coach Vitello is going to be able to, to play around with. And uh, the, those guys at the back of the bullpen that I kind of talked about <laughs> earlier that I'm excited to see how they play out. Because you've got Kirby Cannell coming back, and he's going to be rock solid for you. you you've got Camden coming back. You, you know what you've got from him. And, and Camden can obviously start anytime you need him to in a pinch. We, we've seen that in big-time situations. Uh, and you you have a wide Evans who I think is going to have a, a take a big step this year and, and be tremendous because uh, we, we talk about the power and finesse and he's a power arm from the left side that that is really starting to figure things out. But so you have three guys that you already know that you can trust and I'm sure I'm leaving somebody out. But if Zach Joyce and Seth Halverson and Andrew Lindsay, the three guys that nobody really outside of Knoxville is talking about, if if they're able to knock off the rust of not playing for, for the different circumstances that they each have, and it clicks for them, I mean, the, the depth of this pitching staff is just absolutely unreal. Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned a guy, Seth Halverson, who's been through so much, um, and a guy that a lot of people haven't heard of in a ball uniform, but like that guy throwing in scrimmages recently has been electric, like absolute electricity, and you can see that he's coming back into 
into who he was. People don't realize, like, that guy was a PG All-American, projected first-round draft pick out of high school, two-way player, went to Missouri, he was the Friday guy and DH at the same time. Um, and you just don't see that. Um, and he threw against us on a Friday night and was in, you know, in coma. Like, it was not fun. <laughs> and so having that guy on our team is a massive advantage. And then you see guys like Zach Joyce, who kind of gets put on the back burner because of who his brother is. But coming into this, when I first met the both of them, what I heard was Zach was better than Ben from a pitching standpoint, like being able to just pitch. Um, and I've seen it, and it's really good. Like, it's, it's good stuff. And then guys like Andrew Lindsay, who I, was, I actually had breakfast with Andrew this morning. Uh, he's 23 years old, and he's been around the block a time or two, and you need guys like that. Guys like Camden Sewell that have pitched against Florida and have a one ERA in, in big games in the SEC tournament, you know, when, when you know, it's, the money's on the line. Like, you got to go. And at the end of the day, like that guy's been there, he's done that, he's old, he's experienced. And that's where, you know, the money is made is in those moments when, you know, your team might be down in the ninth and you need a guy to come in and make sure they don't score any more runs so you can come back. Like, or you just need a guy to close the game. Like, I don't think we've ever had a, a true like closer, I guess, in a sense where like that was his only job. You have guys like Hunley who close games, but he could also be in long relief. And he did that for us. Um, and so at the end of the day, like when their roles are solidified throughout the year, I think they're not only going to accept them, but they're going to embrace them and get better and get better at them. Um, and you're going to see different guys throughout the year just mold and become better and better because that's what Coach V does is he primes you to get better in July when it matters. Um, and guys like Coach Q and, and Coach A, like you, we're, we're trying to be good in June, man. We're not trying to be good in March. Um, obviously, being good in March is great and winning in March is awesome. And I think. You know, a great example is the basketball team the other day. Like, guys, we are in January. There's there's no reason to start freaking out about about what we're doing here. Like, Coach Barnes is extraordinarily good at what he does, and so is Coach V. So at the end of the day, like, we're trying to be really good when it matters, and we're going to take these steps and learn and learn as much as we can. And so when it does matter, we, we don't flinch. Yeah, and I, I asked Tony and – uh, the, the little Q&A that I did with him. And if you're listening to this, then part two is already published uh, on Monday morning. I asked him if they were going to have a closer this season or if he had a guy in mind. And, and it, college baseball is much different than professional baseball. Uh, and even professional baseball is kind of getting away from the traditional Mariano Rivera's and, and Trevor Hoffman's. Uh, a, a lot of the the new analytics say that you want to match You want to take your Mar- Mariano Rivera and match him up with the the heart of the lineup, whether that's in the seventh or the eighth, or or, or whether it's the ninth, like it, okay, if if the seven eight nine hitter is coming up in the ninth inning, why would you save your best relief pitcher or or your designated closer, quote unquote? Why why would you save him for the ninth inning when the the heart of the lineup, if you're playing the Guardians and Jose Ramirez is coming up in the eighth inning, why would you not use him your best reliever in, in that instance? And, and I think college baseball is much more like that. You saw that with Sean Hunley, and, and Redmond was probably a little more of a designated closer than Hunley was. But even Hunt or even Redmond would be used in those situations to where he would be brought in for the final out of the seventh and, and then pitch uh, the rest of the way. But I did ask Tony uh, if he had a, a closer in mind, if he was going to utilize a designated closer. Uh, and he, he did not commit 
to, to using one and kind of just said the same thing I did, that it's going to be more by committee and, and be more situational. But he did mention Andrew Lindsay. Uh, that that was the name that that he kind of mentioned, and in other interviews that Tony's been doing the, the last month or so, he, he's really been hyping up. I guess you could say Andrew Lindsay has has been really impressed um, by what he's been uh, since returning from Christmas. So I, I'm really excited about the pitching staff. They're, they're going to be a lot of fun to watch, but this offense is also going to be fun to watch. Like last year's team hit more home runs than I think even the coaching staff was anticipating, and, and now the conversation is how are they going to replace all those home runs and, and yada, yada, yada. Well, and one quick alternate route that, that I'm going to take uh, is, I meant to say this about Seth Halverson, he's Drew Gilbert on the mound. Like, maniac-wise, he, 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 <laughs> he is a maniac. He, he is as crazy uh, as Drew Gilbert. So that, that'll be really fun. And, and when I was in Lexington last year watching BP before the Sunday game, he was out in center field shagging, like robbing home runs like he's just Jim Edmonds out there or something or, or Andrew Jones. I'm like, what? put him in center field. I, I know he can't throw right now because his elbows, his arm is fractured, but he'll go catch anything. And I'm saying that while Drew Gilbert's out there in center field, a, a gold glove center fielder in, in college baseball. Uh, but this offense is going to be really fun to watch. And, and I want to start with your position, the, the catching position. Kind of been weird since, since you left. There's been some guys – uh, say that they're going to transfer to Tennessee a after you left and, and then kind of back out on that. Uh, th there's been players transfer here and then decide that they, they want to go be a frat boy, uh, <laughs> go fraternize in in instead of pl playing baseball and whatever. I everybody should do what they want to do uh, in life. There there's no, no shame in that whatsoever. But my point is that it's put in, it, it has put this program in, in, a, in a tough spot, but they've been able to handle it really well. I, I thought Evan did a tremendous job of, of handling catching duties last year. Uh, given the fact that he had really focused on the outfield in the several seasons prior to last year. Uh, and then this year, it's also been a little bit funky uh, because you, you move Jared Dickey uh, to catcher, and he, he's working there for the majority of the fall. And, and then he deals with a thumb wrist injury uh, and, and has to miss the, the end of, of fall practice. And I, I feel like that maybe set him back just a little bit from a, a pure fundamental catching standpoint and that's now why you're hearing that he's probably going to focus more on the outfield because you you still have two good defensive options at catcher and you have three bats back there as well you have three bats and ryan miller charlie taylor well charlie obviously is more of a defensive guy than than, than a bat but you do have three bats back there still with with charlie and uh, ryan miller and, and cal stark uh, and then the two good defensive guys that, that I mentioned is because Ryan Miller's still trying to come along as a, a pure catcher. But Charlie, I heard you say this on a, a, another interview recently, that his glove is is up there w with anybody. And then I think Cal Stark has been a pleasant surprise with his ability to do both. W when you take all four of the guys, including Dickey, and kind of compare the hitting and just take all of what they can do and mix it together, Stark is probably the guy that does the best of, of both worlds. Uh, that can give the most in, in both areas. But Charlie's obviously the, the better defensive guy. They have options back there is, is the point that I'm getting to. Uh, and, and although it's been a, a little bit of a, a funky route to, to get to opening day, I, I think they have plenty of options back there. And, and I'm really interested to see how Cal Stark can impact this, this baseball team. I think he's a, a name that's going to kind of come out of left field for fans. Uh, and then I think Charlie Taylor is going to take a big step forward this year as well. Absolutely. I've, I've been working with all three of those guys and, and been able to, to work in with them and they're catching work. And all three of them are, are like you said, they're, they're all extremely good options behind the plate. Like there's no, 
there's no bad option that they have here. Uh, like you said, a guy like Cal Stark is going to come out of left field for fans because nobody knows who he is, um, but you will. Uh, you will soon, and he's been doing really well in scrimmages. And like I said, I, I think Charlie's just as good as I am, if not better, defensively behind the plate. Like one of the best I've seen um, ever. And so I think there will be no problem when he gets behind the plate. And I think he's a way better hitter than he was as well. Uh, and like I said, like I think the move for Jared Dickey is more just to keep him healthy and make sure that he's in the lineup every day because like you have a defensive option at catcher. They're not putting Dickey back there so he can play catcher. Uh, they're putting him back there because he can hit. And so. Uh, at the end of the day, like they want his bat in the lineup. And when Charlie and Cal prove that they can hit in the SEC, then it'll be a lot easier for Dickey to move. Um, and so at the end of the day, like I think you'll see all three of them rotate back there and they will all get work in back there because they're going to need it. But uh, you will see one guy show up eventually as the year goes on. A lot like what happened with Landon Gray and I my freshman year where the Kentucky series, the first time that I caught three games in a weekend, I caught every game after that. It'll be something like that. Um, where like a guy solidifies his position behind the plate and, and he's going to be the guy because uh, towards the end of the year, like when you get into, into SEC play and the middle SEC play, like there's no question marks about who's playing in the lineup. Like we show up at the field every day and we know who's in the lineup. Uh, and so I think that's how it's going to be uh, as the year progresses on. And Coach V is really good about giving guys opportunities. And that's why I tell high school guys all the time to come here because like Coach V will give you your opportunity and you just have to go take it. So um, I, don't, I know just as much as you are about who's going to start on opening day. Um, <laughs> And so if I had to guess, like a guy that's, that's earned it, if Dickie's going to play outfield, I, I think it'll be Charlie Taylor. But uh, obviously, I don't know that as a fact. And um, I would love for Charlie to be back there. I'm, like I said, I'm the, I'm the president of the Charlie Taylor fan club. <laughs> and so I will, I will back that guy with everything I have every time he steps on the field. And uh, one of the best dudes ever. And so when he gets his opportunity, he's going to take it. And um, at the end of the day, they're going to be just fine back there regardless. Yeah, and, and Charlie looked good in the fall with the bat in his hand. The, the defense has never been a question with him. It, it's just always been, can the bat catch up enough to, to where it's essentially not an automatic out uh, when when he walks up there? And uh, in the fall, he looked good swinging the bat. Uh, and, and if he can swing it against this pitching staff uh, to that extent, then he will be perfectly fine. And uh, I mentioned Ryan Miller's name. I don't necessarily see him – getting a ton of innings behind the plate, but I think he's going to have an opportunity to, to swing the bat um, because he, he has a ton of power in, in that swing from the left side. And uh, righties and lefties both swing it well in Lindsey Nelson Stadium, but especially lefties. They're, they're going to have a, a great chance to, to really show off their power. And I could see him early in the season getting – not could see him. I think he will get an opportunity to be a DH. And, and if he takes advantage of it, then, then he'll get more at-bats. Uh, similar to the catcher position in terms of just having a bunch of guys and, and maybe not having a guy, the outfield is is very similar in that way. Now, I think Griffin Merritt is an absolute dude in left field. He, speaking of power, and, and I started to, to say this earlier before my ADHD kicked in and, and I went off on a, a separate tangent. Uh, everybody talks about how much power this team has to replace. This team's still going to have a ton of power. Everybody talks about Beck and Gilbert and and, and Trey Lipscomb and, and Evan Russell and Luke Lipsius and, and all the power. That's a lot of power to replace, don't get me wrong, but Blake Burke is going to hit a bunch of bombs. Christian Moore is going to hit a bunch of bombs. Maui Ahuna, not Blake Burke up there swinging with power, but he's going to have 15-ish probably, I'd say, just because he's so electric with the bat in his hand. Zane Denton in Lindsey Nelson Stadium is going to I mean, he may hit 50 this year. Griffin Merritt has a ton of power. He's AAC Player of the Year last year at Cincinnati, hitting all those bombs in the cold weather. He'll he'll do perfectly fine. Uh, and, and then there's so so much more talent. Jared Dickey, his bat's going to be in the lineup. There's so many guys that, that can hit for power. But looking at that outfield specifically, Griffin Merritt, 
he's your left fielder uh, unless they try to move him around to, to right field. But he, I've uh, in my head, I've locked him in in left field. He, he's going to be tremendous. Tony's already essentially referred to him as the captain of this team, which speaks so highly of Griffin Merritt to, to come in and already have that type of impact in a culture that is established and has guys like Camden Sewell coming back that, that are kind of looked at as the leaders. Tony and, and the rest of the coaches are already putting Griffin up there with those guys, and uh, he, he's without a doubt the, the, the leader out there. Uh, interested to see how Dickey kind of plays out there for, from a defensive standpoint. Do, do they want him in center? I, I don't I don't really see that he can play center. I'm not trying to say that, but I see him more as a corner outfielder uh, than than I do in, in center. But you still got guys out there like Kyle Booker, who I'm not at all predicting him to have a Trey Lipscomb <laughs> breakout season to where he, he arguably should have won SEC Player of the Year. My point with Booker is that the way Tennessee's coaches spoke about Trey Lipscomb before Trey had his breakout season, that's the way the coaches have always talked about Kyle Booker leading up to this season every year there's been a lot of talk about Kyle Booker and just how dynamic of a player he can be so he's out there and, and it's a prove it year for him you've got Christian Scott who's been here forever and he's Mr. Reliable and then you have these two freshman studs and Dylan Dryling and Reese Chapman who are are lucky to be <laughs> Tennessee's lucky to have them here so that you don't really have any guy solidified out there and starting spots necessarily outside of Griffin Merritt they're all going to get a ton of opportunities the the first month of the season but golly there's so much talent and potential out there I mean what a great problem to have like you said Griffin is the only one that I know for a fact will be out there um I, coach V hasn't told me that he doesn't need to tell me that uh just watching that guy play the the composure he has the kind of the captain-like Evan Russell attitude that he that he has, and the way that the other guys respect him on an Evan Russell type um, type wave as well. Like he he's going to be the left fielder for the Tennessee Volunteers, and there's no no questions about that. You know, you said guys like Dryling and guys like Chapman will also get opportunities to be out there, and I love the comp that you made to uh, to Booker being you know having that Trey Lipscomb type year, um, and I see that because I think he's one of the better athletes I've ever been around, um, and I'm just wait I'm just waiting for him to, to finally you know for it to click for him. And then you see guys like C. Scott who have been here forever, um, and one of my one of my best friends. And uh, at the end of the day, like he's waited his turn as well. And I could also see him having a trailer some type of year too, um, because he deserves it. And uh, and he's he's an extremely hard worker as well. And so and Zane Denton loves Lindsey Nelson Stadium. And uh, <laughs> every time that I've ever not not just Lindsey Nelson, but just played against the kid, uh, it, it's been a problem. And so I'm glad that he's wearing orange. Finally, uh, we got him out of that wrong color. I, I think it was. The fact he, he knew we were going to beat Alabama in football, so he came to the right <laughs> side this year. Um, and so it'll be good to have him in our lineup as well. And so at the end of the day, like, you know, th what a great problem to have. And you even mentioned Dickey out there, like a guy who just hit three-something in the SEC. And so, like, what a great problem to have. And uh, that will be one of those re revolving doors where, like, you put guys in there and it's going to be about, you know, somebody go take it. Like, Coach V's never been about, like, oh, I'm going to force this guy to, you know, get good at some point like he's he, he don't care he just wants to win so somebody's gonna have to go take it um and I think you know two or three of those guys will end up doing that yeah and, and the infield there's question marks but you know who the guy is gonna be at each spot from left to right it's gonna be Zane Ditton, Maui Ahuna, Christian Moore and Blake Burke Th those are your guys and uh, I'm I'm expecting big time seasons from each of those four I, I think Blake Burke is 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 going to be absolutely tremendous. I'm assuming he's going to hit in the heart of the lineup, and we'll see how he adjusts to that because that that is so much more difficult than what type of role he was playing last year. 
uh, and Christian Moore. Uh, I, I guess he was kind of hitting in the in the two hole ish uh, during the fall, so we'll, we'll see where he's at in the lineup. But he's going to be a main catalyst. And honestly, I, I'm not worried about the bat. They'll they'll figure it out. They'll have great years. They'll hit for average. They'll hit for power. They'll drive in runs. They'll get on base and whatnot. I, th- I think the big question with those two guys is is how will they be defensively because those are such key positions. And Luke wasn't a great first baseman when he first got to Tennessee, but by the time he left after his 17 seasons last year, he, he was a terrific first baseman and, and really saved uh, a, a lot of outs for Tennessee. And, and can can Blake Burke replace that aspect? And, and asking Tony Vitello about it, uh, he said that he, he thinks – that they are plus defenders and, and that they can they, they do have that potential and, and really by the time their career is done at Tennessee they will be kind of like Luke Lipsius, Christian Moore and, and Blake Burke that is that the, they'll really be reliable defenders and uh, we talked about Zane Denton he's going to hit a ton of homers Maui Ahuna and and look you, you played with two great three great shortstops uh, I guess you didn't technically play with the you did play with Cortland Lawson but he wasn't the starting shortstop when you were here but you you were with Ricky Martinez you were with Liam Spence uh, and then Cortland Lawson those are three straight guys three four years in a row where they they, they didn't have necessarily the the superstar flair to them or the elite skill sets they're just really really solid and there's nothing wrong with that they were awesome absolutely awesome especially Liam Spence and Ricky Martinez those guys were great Cortland last year was absolutely great the point I'm making is that like Maui Ahuna he's different like he's and not even just from those guys like you can compare second baseman and third baseman and whatever like Maui Ahuna is is just different and that's why you see him projected as a first round pick absolutely uh and I've heard that you know that term being thrown around a lot like he's just different um Ricky Martinez the best defensive shortstop I've ever seen in my life um, and Ricky even says that, that he's he's different. And at the end of the day, like I'm going to take his word for it because he's he's, he's pretty good. Uh, and you talk about guys like Simo and guys like Burke. Uh, people people see that they hit a lot of homers last year, but people don't realize both of them had double digit homers in less than 100 at bats, both of them. And so, <laughs> you know, when you take that into account, like these guys are going to get 200 plus abs this year. And I'm excited to see what they do because I think Simo is one of the most underrated players not uh, not underrated I, I think everybody knows how good he is but more just under the radar because he's surrounded by who he's surrounded by um, especially with a guy like Maui at shortstop and, and Zane at third and, and Burke at first I think he's going to be a guy where it's like oh my gosh he's been here the whole time and he's hitting 20 homers you know it's going to be that kind of that kind of bat for the kid and um, and I'm excited to see that for him as well and so the more that we talk about how how loaded this team is the more excited I get to hear about it but at the end of the day like LSU looks really good on paper too so a lot of it is just like speculating on what kind of season these people are going to have. And do I think they're going to have a great year? Absolutely. Like, I think all of those guys are going to have phenomenal years, um, but they're going to have to go prove it. And they know that as well. And Coach V actually is really good about that, about letting guys know, like, hey, like, we haven't done anything in 2023. Like, we might be the second ranked team preseason everywhere, um, but like, we haven't done anything. And so, and that's the attitude they take into it every day. That's the attitude they're going to take into every single game that they play, and that's a reason they had single-digit losses last year. Yeah, and that's the last thing I want to touch on before we get out of here. I've already kept you much longer than I anticipated, 15 minutes uh, longer. You're just so great at uh, talking baseball, and and this has been a a fun conversation to have, and I'm sure a lot of people will appreciate this conversation. But the last thing before we get out of here is just the grind of the SEC. I I don't think people realize – I think they know, but I also don't think that they know. Like, it it is different. Like, SEC football, it's a beast – SEC basketball has really improved the last decade or so, and it's really difficult. 
But as I mentioned earlier, SEC baseball is another form of minor league baseball. It's another level of minor league baseball. And uh, th- this team, I-, I said last night in a different interview, like last year's team won nine games. And they're the ones that didn't make it to Omaha. Your group that did make it to Omaha, y'all lost twice as many games a- as they did. So I, I say that to-, to remind folks that obviously this team's not going to win every single game. And it is okay to have fair expectations for this team. Like My expectation for this team is to make it to Omaha and not just make it, but win games in Omaha. Like They have that talent level, that camaraderie, that leadership, the coaching. Like It's a true national title contender, and that is the goal. That's the expectation. To I'm not saying necessarily win the whole thing because I think that's, that's asking a lot and, and it's, it, when you compare how difficult it is. But it, I'm, and I'm not saying not to have fair expectations. I, I'm just kind of like what we're going through with basketball right now. Like Pav mentioned earlier, like if if they lose, like it's it's not going to be the end of the world. You saw Ole Miss literally be the last team into the field last year. They were going to part ways with Mike Bianco, and then he wins the national championship, gets a new contract, and he's going to have a statue there in Oxford one day. So, and you look at the schedule. It's okay. Missouri is Missouri. That that's the first weekend of, of conference play but then it's uh, I think Texas A&M at home then you go to LSU the, then you come back and, and play Vanderbilt and Florida and, and go to Arkansas like those are all preseason top 10 teams so it's fair to, to have high expectations just don't freak out if they lose a game or two in the midst of, of trying to get there because you you can go 500 in SEC play and it's not as bad as it seems because of the level of competition that you're playing week in and week out yeah I mean you see 500 SEC teams getting the regionals all the time um, and that's just the gauntlet. And be successful of, in the regionals. Absolutely. Like you saw Ole Miss get into a region. All they needed to do was get in. Um, and I'm not saying they didn't deserve to be there. But, you know, they, they got in. They were the last team in, like you said. And, you know, Tennessee swept them in the year. So if you want to talk about the SEC being what it is, one of the bottom tier teams in the SEC just won a national championship <laughs> because it clicked at the right time. Um, and so at the end of the day, like, like you said, they wanted to fire Bianco. And, and that was a fact. Like he was getting fired at the end of the year. Um, and so at the end of the day, like the expectations are great and this team's going to be great, but um, the gauntlet of the SEC can never be underestimated and what these guys are going to go through every day and, and what it takes to win, not only win the SEC, but make a regional, host a regional, host a super and make it to Omaha. Like I did it, like I've been through it and, and it's a lot, man. Like we went into, we had to play LSU again after sweeping them and had to beat them two more times. Like. I was going into that series like, dude, this sounds really storybook. Like, we sweep a team in during the year and they beat us in a super. Like, it sounds just like that. And you see those all the time where, like, you have to beat a team five times in a year to go to Omaha and a good team like LSU. Um, and this year's, you have to go to LSU and they don't like us. They haven't, what are we, like 6 and 0 in our last six games against them? Like, it, like they, they do not like us. And we got to go to, <laughs> we got to go to Alex Box and, and they're going to be ready for that. Um, and so at the end of the day, like, the support from the fans and from each other are going to be a lot more important than anything this year. So, you know, as we go through earlier in the year, when, when things do go wrong, because they will, and, you know, like we stumble at some point during a game, like we give up a six spot in an inning. Um, at the end of the day, like we need that experience because we need to learn how to overcome stuff like that. Um, and so at the end of the day, like I think this team is going to go to Omaha. I think they're going to win games in Omaha. Um, and I'd love to see him win a natty. Uh, I'd love to fly out and fly out to Omaha to watch that, even while I'm playing. Like, I, I'd spend any amount of money to go out there. And so, at the end of the day, like, I love these guys. I know the work that they've put in to be where they're at, and I know they're ready for it. Um, and so, I'm excited for Vol Nation to be able to see it. 
but um, at the end of the day, just support the guys and, and be behind them because what they're going through right now is going to be one of the hardest and longest seasons that, they, that they've played because their, their schedule's a gauntlet. There's no way, to, no way to sugarcoat it. And even teams like South Carolina that were notoriously not very good when I was here um, are getting a lot better because of what the transfer portal has become, and they're just recruiting at a high level. But, you know, like we are who we are, and we know who we are, and, and I'm excited to see us, see us take that next step this year and into being, you know, finally back to what Tennessee baseball should be and, and what I thought it would become when I met with Coach Vitello my, my senior year of high school um, before I was about to come here, what we talked about bringing this program to be. And, um, and I'm glad to see that they are where they are, and, um, and, I, and I'm excited to see them continue to do what they've done. The, the comments from the peanut gallery in the background certainly agree with you. And, and Pav, we, we so much appreciate your time, man. And uh, we wish you the, the, best of luck, the best of luck this season. Uh, it'll be a fun Tennessee baseball season. And, and I know a lot of people, including myself, will be keeping up with, with you and, and your journey uh, as well. Uh, and, and just continue to stay on the grind and, and keep doing your thing. And, and you're, you're going to make it to the big leagues one day. I have no doubt about that because of your work ethic and, and because of who you are. So uh, greatly appreciate your time. You, you've become a great friend. And uh, I'll always enjoy our interactions. And we're definitely going to have to get you back on the podcast. I think you're better at this podcasting thing uh, than, than I am. I think you and, and Max and, and Rucker need, need to get y'all a, a podcast going because I, I get Trey in there somehow because I know Trey, Trey's a – he may be a quiet guy, but he, he's a creative guy and, and he's pretty uh, quick-witted. So uh, appreciate you and uh, best of luck this season. Absolutely, man. It's been a pleasure. And I'll come on anytime. And, um, and I appreciate you having me. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the next time we get to get together. That's Connor Pavilloni. I'm Ben McKee. This has been – uh, another edition of the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com. Another edition, but the first edition of the 2023 Tennessee baseball season. Plenty of coverage coming your way as Tennessee gets ready to go in just under two weeks. There's that button. And now I can say thank you for listening to this edition of the GoVols247 podcast. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And if you just want Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals 24-7. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals 24-7 where we update that throughout the day, all day, every day, mostly with Tennessee news, uh, but also with news that we think Falls fans will find interesting. Uh, But if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the source, go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball. Nobody, and I mean nobody, covers Tennessee baseball the way that we do. Also, no one covers the Lady Vols that we do. The award-winning Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us all season long. You can get all of that at GoVols247.com. You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock, got the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world, and with us who are on the staff. Uh, and, and no one has a more uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got, and you get all of that 
for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs, and that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent, growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial-free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, you also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.